I'm Arthur Falls, and you're listening to The Third Web, where we explore the intersection of decentralized finance, identity, and secure computing. Dominic Tart is a hacker who resides on a sailboat, usually found in New Zealand's beautiful Hauraki Gulf. In recent years, he has risen to fame as the creator of the secure Scuttlebutt protocol, Scuttlebutt for short. Scuttlebutt is comprised of a standard messaging format and a subjective append-only log stored locally by users. The first application has been a multi-client decentralized social media platform that is an absolute joy to use and I encourage everyone to download my favorite desktop client, Patchwork, or Miniverse for Android. As an autonomous software system, like Bitcoin, Scuttlebutt rewards the provisioning of resources to support the network. Only rather than a point system and a money myth, Scuttlebutt offers something far more valuable, conversation. This episode mostly covers the origin of the protocol, but I will definitely conduct more interviews with Dom and others close to the project, which is today one of the most impressive and well-used decentralized applications in existence. Wait, so where did you sell from? Coromandel. Coromandel Harbour on Friday afternoon. And you got up to Monganui in 49 hours. Yeah. That doesn't seem like that long. It's a, that's a long way. It's like 500 kilometers, isn't it? Yeah, I need to... I haven't actually figured out exactly how far it is. You could do it. You definitely couldn't do it. My my boat goes like six knots maximum. And, you know, in practice, you don't really go that fast. But it was definitely, I knew it was definitely going to be two nights of sailing. So you actually had to sail through the night? Yeah, twice. That was sort of what I wanted to to test because I'd done like overnight sails. But I wanted, basically, I wanted to see how I would cope with sailing for longer than that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's an interesting uh an interesting way to start a weekend i suppose yeah but it was good i spent actually spent most of the time reading because i have this like uh self-steering contraption that keeps the boat on course and so i wanted to know how well that would work it was really i was testing myself was the big thing but yeah i spent most of the time reading and then uh you know when there was a strange noise jump up on deck and see if everything was okay so what's the contraption so there's a it's all mechanical but there's like a fin like a wind vane that detects the direction the wind is coming from and then that's basically wired indirectly to the tiller which then steers the rudder so so the the idea is that the when the wind direction changes it changes the rudder to get you back on course but the complication is that the wind so the wind vane is a sensor and there isn't enough power in the in the signal which is just a pull on some ropes to move the tiller because the rudder is quite heavy. So you need to amplify it. And you do that by having a, another fin in the water that's easy to move. And then as the water flows past that, it moves a big lever, which then via some you know lines and pulleys and stuff, applies that to the, the tiller and keeps you on course. So you're not using an actuator or anything? It's not uh, electronic. It's fully like mechanical. <laughs> that's I, I really I've never seen your boat I really want to I really want to see this thing I'll post a I like it's a it's a the second version of the one I made and like two summers ago 
but that one was just made from trash and this one was like i put some more thought into into it so i've got some like footage of it of it running i'll um, post them on youtube or something but this is a thing that people do you can buy commercially made ones but they're like thousands and thousands of dollars so it would be like half the cost of my entire boat and i'm kind of really interested in how these things work and stuff too so i've got one i did catch a pretty big fish on the trip as well uh southern tuna that was like easily the biggest fish i ever caught okay well so this is actually probably a good place to segue into the topic for discussion today which is secure scuttlebutt and this is something i've wanted to do a podcast on for ages but i've just been so busy at Definity. but i thought what we could do is start super just take our time with it and actually start with first a quick description of what secure scuttlebutt is and then maybe go into the story of how it came to be sure so i normally start by explaining the name so scuttlebutt is an old nautical term for gossip and it's actually a coincidence that it has like the nautical theme i actually got the name scuttlebutt from an amazon paper that described a subsystem of the Amazon Dynamo database, which used a gossip protocol. Like a gossip protocol is actually a, a type of algorithm where computers in a network don't need to talk directly to each other, but they receive messages like, like as in gossip, you don't receive news directly from the person that created it. You can receive it from third parties. and. There are computer protocols that work like that as well, which have great um, features. They can be extremely reliable because if a computer crashes or goes offline, as mine just did, the message just gets routed around other nodes. And so it's very robust. I think I'd come quite interested in this problem of like data replication. Basically, how do you get two copies of a database to like update so now they have the same data efficiently? And I wanted also wanted to create some like generic system that allowed you to create decentralized applications like in kind of some kind of and some kind of like general way like just general purpose decentralization where you could create like any kinds of application and i was exploring the idea of something slightly more along the lines of how ipfs works that i called cyphernet cyphernet so this is the term i use cypherspace so cypherspace is distinct from cyberspace because so cyberspace cyber means signal actually cyber comes from the greek word for the helmsman of ship anyway cipher means comes from an arabic word for algorithm and or you know method or code so cyberspace is the space created by signals and cipher space is the space created by algorithms so in cyberspace we have a hyperlink which firstly tells you like where a thing is in the whole internet, which server do you go to to get this thing? And I'm referring to like something that that server is, is responsible for. But with cypherspace, you get like a hash as like the primary identifier. And you say of all of the things in the universe of like just chunks of data, which one am I referring to? And it doesn't tell you where to find that thing, but it tells you what it is when you find it. Much like Cinderella's glass slipper, that doesn't tell you where Cinderella is. But it tells you that when you find Cinderella, that this is the right one. That that actually is Cinderella because that's the only foot that the glass slipper fits. That's correct. So it's kind of like it proves you've found the right thing, but it doesn't tell you where on earth 
to find that thing. Yeah, so you have to have some other kind of scheme to actually pull back the thing that you were looking for. And that's where the challenging part of building this kind of distributed system is. Before we actually move on, maybe it's worth just dwelling briefly on the problem with not knowing what is behind a hyperlink. Yeah, so basically it means that the server, you get a link to somewhere, the server basically has gets to make the decision of whether they give the thing to you or not, or whether they change it. Because they could give you anything. They could give you anything, absolutely, yeah. So for example, that enables things like giving different people different things. They could send you code that has some kind of backdoor, some sort of special thing that's not what everyone sees. With a hash, you can know that's the same thing that everyone else gets. Basically, it means that the server has a lot of power over how the system works. And, you know, from the, you know, the sort of era of like the 2000s and the internet, the sort of like utopian hopefulness of the 90s internet had sort of evaporated a bit. And there was definitely a growing awareness that the kind of having too much power was invested in these like centralized things was actually quite a problem. I had certainly in my earlier career worked in like well it's just a small company really but it was like a thing where i could see that the software was like really crappy like frustratingly bad but it wasn't bad like fixing it wasn't actually very a terribly difficult technical problem but it was like a social problem because like my boss for example just wanted me to make billable hours and not fix the problem which would have ultimately resulted in less billable hours and so i became quite mindful of like how software became power structures i think that with like more egalitarian software you'll get better software this is actually interesting and and this is like way uh way tangential to where i'd like to the conversation to go this time around but this notion of software becoming a power structure is exactly what the other dominic dominic williams was attempting to address when he uh when he envisioned this idea of the world computer right is this idea that Amazon is incentivized to make it really, really hard and Amazon uh, kind of dependent companies are incentivized to make it really, really hard to switch to some other uh, software stack because that means that they lock down their, their customers. Yeah, exactly. That's like sort of you get this sort of like digital feudalism, which is like, you know, it's not like I met, I've met people who like ran, they had a business you know, that employed, you know, it's a completely independent, so they business where they made Facebook apps. And then one day, Facebook decided, oh, we're not doing those anymore. Turned it off. Immediately, their bus- they built their business on top of Facebook, and then suddenly Facebook just pulled the rug out from under their feet. And of course, that, that you know, they built their livelihood on, on this sort of thing and didn't really have any say in how it continued to exist. I was also just remember back in the... Um, back in the day when I actually used, would use it, like how frustrating it would, was whenever like Facebook changed something that you used and you just had like, you didn't have any, con- like you just had to take whatever they gave you and had no control over like how you interacted with your own computer. And that was like, even though it's a really small detail, I think that like ultimately what makes software frustrating is that you know you don't have any control over the the things that affect you you should be able to have that control how do those thoughts become secure scuttlebutt then i had gotten into like node.js in the early days when it was like i think it was zero version 0. 0.2 uh, back when like now node.js is just like it's completely boring enterprise technology that 
you wouldn't get fired for choosing to use Node.js. But when I got on board, you definitely would get fired for it. Those were the glory days. That's when it was really fun. I started learning a lot. I had basically read the Amazon Dynamo paper, which had come out recently and was quite influential. And basically just from like reading this paper, I was able to like pass myself off as some kind of like distributed systems expert. And I like spoke at lots of conferences and that sort of stuff. Because like Node.js had kind of like amateurized this like system programming thing because you had like a pretty easy dynamic language and that was like quite scalable. This exposed me to like designing protocols and this data replication stuff. And it was also like at the time everyone wanted to build these like real-time apps that like dynamically updated and stuff like that. And we're really excited about this. And I was just like experimenting and I came up with this thing where you could like update, have these... um do this data replication and I gave like a talk about it my local JavaScript meetup and everyone was just really excited about it like it's such a strong response that I was like oh like my previous like crazy idea like no one was really interested in that they just like smiled and nodded and stuff like this but this one people were really excited about it so I was like maybe I should just explore this for a while and see where it goes I met this company uh, Nearform where I spoke at the conference they'd organized government funding with the Irish Irish government to do like a research project for this like syncable database thing, but hadn't done anything on it. And then I turned up on their doorstep and they're like, oh, why don't we just pay Dominic to work on this? So I spent like a year doing that, which is where I really like, that was the year when I like learned everything I needed to know and had the idea of Secure Scuttlebug. So then they like pivoted and became some very successful at some other kind of corporate platform as a service thing that I wasn't interested, but I went off my own and continued working on what became Secure Scuttlebutt. And the breakthrough was a couple of things. So there was this this thing called Camly Store, which is now called Perkeep, which had a, basically it was just a database. Everything was identified by the hash. And then you use search to query it. And I was like, oh, that's a really good idea. And I was exploring that. I was looking for ways to like rep- to replicate copies of this database efficiently. And then I saw this other thing called Cryptosphere, which I don't think ever actually implemented, but I was reading the Wikipedia, the design philosophy page. And so it had the system where, the peer, so it was just implementing a distributed file system. So like IPFS or something. And how it worked is the different peers in the system would talk to each other and they would trade. They had a credit system for trading storage and bandwidth with each other. So. They would say like, oh, can you store this thing for me for like a day or a month or something like this? And then you go back and check later if they still have it. And if they do, then, so you basically build, have like a, a credit system where they build up reputations for each other and then they can know, and they have, there's some kind of like credit based currency apparently as well. But then on top of that, it just implements a, a file system. And I was like, a file system is actually really boring, but this credit system sounds really interesting. What if we just took that idea and went down a level so you had these logs and just gave the human users direct access to these logs and just replicated logs from other humans? And I realized, hang on, that's exactly what Twitter is basically. You know, you have a feed or a log and you choose which other logs you want to replicate. And then those are the feeds that you end up storing on your computer. And I just like had this revelation that this just made like all of the pieces of the puzzle fit together because first of all a log is like the easiest kind of data structure to replicate because all you need to say is like where you are up to it if you replicate it in order so 
it makes the replication problem trivial. And then because the, uh, it, then it avoids Sybil attacks because the humans explicitly say who they want to replicate or not. And it doesn't feel like they're making like a difficult security decision. They're just like choosing who's interesting. Basically, like you don't, there's no spam on Twitter because you opted into that by following them. So it's like you chose to get that. And you can choose to unfollow as well. Exactly. Yeah. So like the basic, like this just sort of, it just all fit together perfectly. And I was like, well, you could probably build. And also because humans like are really into like talking to each other, then there seemed like there was a really good business model in the sense that there would be like, because people use it, use it to communicate. There's like a, there is a like sustaining energy that would develop the thing where it's not just like a completely abstract protocol, but it's like you could build like addictive sort of software on it. So you could pull out, you know, all of the like web 2.0 playbook and build something like that, that could become quite popular, but it could be completely decentralized as well, which would address the uh, problems of like, since here, since the protocol and the application are like strictly separated, it means like you can't prevent someone from building a different application which was the kind of like software freedom I wanted to to see. It just like felt like everything fit together. So now that we've got to this point where we've got this kind of, I guess you might call it a subjective append-only log, now what did you build with that? Can you describe the first application of that? So the it just seemed like the obvious first application you needed something to, because also had, like, I learned this um, from like the whole, influenced by the whole like, like lean development kind of style. We needed to like build something with it to find out what you really needed to be built on the protocol um, side. And the, the obvious first choice was some kind of like social network application because we could then use that to discuss problems of designing the system. So yeah, so the first contributor apart from myself was Paul Frizzy, who now works on Beaker Browser. I built the, the backend protocol and he built the the first front-end protocol, quite a few of the like particular decisions and how it works are from are because of him actually, as well as like message formats and and stuff like that. And definitely, I don't think I, pro- I probably wouldn't have um, you know lost. I probably would have lost interest and done something else if, if it hadn't been him also working on it. Now there's quite a like a huge community of people and a number of applications built on top of it too. It's pretty amazing. The quality of conversation on Secure Scuttlebutt is spectacular as well. Like, it's really out of this world. And the random people who have reached out to me on Secure Scuttlebutt as well is, like, awesome. Yeah, people say it feels like, you know, like the internet did in the early 90s or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of... It's funny because all, we've uh, there's been all of this buzz about decentralized applications, etc., in the blockchain space and... All the while, you 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 were plugging away with a live production social network that didn't involve any of these like any consensus algorithm or anything like that. Yeah, well, that's really the key to our success, I think, because the thing is, consensus algorithms are very very slow. Like, kind of, you know, basically, you need to get everyone to to agree that something is the case. And this was like a lesson I had learned from studying basically how they made things like web turbino system scale in the like previous decade um like amazon and um and amazon dynamo in particular 
is that you try to design things not to need consensus. So there are some interesting ideas out there like uh, CRDTs, commutative non-not, commutative replicated data types. And the whole point is that you have use eventual consistency instead. And it's like, you don't actually need to know, you don't actually need the whole world to agree on whether or not something has happened. For most things, you know, for example, it doesn't matter whether all of the email in the world is in order. And also, you don't want to have all of the email in the world. You only want to have the email that's for you. So in Secure Scuttlebutt, you have just like one, you, there's a strict order for one particular feed, but how that relates to other feeds is not specified. And then when you do have points where you would like to specify the order, so for example, you ha we have a conversation, I say something and you reply to it, when you reply, your reply includes the hash of my message that you're replying to. And that proves cryptographically that it came after that. And then that subset has a strict order. But for the most part, we avoid strict orders wherever possible and only use them when strictly necessary. And that makes the whole system far, far lighter weight. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a good experience using it as well. I suppose I'd like to, to come back, revisit some of the technicals in greater detail. But for now, can you talk a bit about the client ecosystem? Oh, yeah. So there's like, I'm not sure exactly, there's like at least five different like clients to the social network application. So this is just like discussion threads and follow people, send private messages and stuff. So the main one is Patchwork, which is the, so that's the primary client. Then there's Patch Bay and Patch Foo, I think are the next most popular ones. Then there's, uh, oh yeah, Miniverse, which is the new Android client that you can install from the App Store that was like released like last week or the week before or something like that. That was, Andre Stoltz made that. That was a, a long way in the making. Getting everything we needed to like run on a phone was not easy, but here we are. We got there eventually. And there's a couple, a couple of others that are more obscure or like less people use them, but have their own, own things. And some of those have different quirks as well, like Patch Bay has a chess game built into it so you can play chess over secure scuttlebutt which is actually kind of it's kind of interesting because it has like this um private chat built into it which is just like way less formal and the people that play chess are like really into like quite a few it's quite a lot of stuff that actually seems to happen via the SSB chess chat and then there's a bunch of other apps that just hang up secure scuttlebutt in some way so there's like this chess, then there's Git SSB is probably the most interesting where it's like a backend for Git that goes to SSB and you can like fully like store repositories and clone them and make pull requests and stuff all through Git SSB. A few other things like that. There's like a very low barrier to creating something because the message formats are just, it's just like JSON. So you can just like create anything you like as long as it has a type field and as long as the message size is within is less than eight kilobytes is the limit then you can pretty much put anything in there so there's no real obstacles for someone to create a new protocol built on top of that i just installed miniverse and i'm wondering can i get my identity from my laptop on my phone no so you can't you don't want to copy the same keys you don't want to have the same keys on two devices because that's increases a, the risk of being compromised significantly but our plan to solve this is to just like you link these two accounts together so that they basically each post a message that says they agree that each other is the same 
And then when someone sends a, a private message to you, it sends it to both of them and the other, you know, your friends just interpret these two feeds as being both representing you, but you don't want to copy the key to the same devices because it's kind of like if you imagine like an airplane with two engines, if the engines are far enough apart on the wings, it means that you can't fly with just one engine. You need both engines to be able to fly safely. So that means if either engine breaks down, the plane crashes. Now that's actually much more dangerous than a plane that only has one engine because the chance of one out of one engines failing is much lower than the chance of either of two engines failing. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but if you had the engines close enough together that you could still fly with just one engine, then having two engines is massively safer because the chance of two engines both failing is massively lower than one engine failing. Right, because if if one of those eng- if, if one of those devices was compromised, you could use the other one to revoke that identity, right? And of course, they could revoke you, but everyone would know something was up. Yeah, ultimately, it does come down to a like. Basically, this is also like a there's like a web of trust model, which you know was like part of the design of um, PGP, but it didn't really work out. I think basically because the like the trust. I think the trust statements were like just too big and heavy and you had to have to go to these key signing parties and like it just doesn't really sound like a very fun party to me. Whereas on the other hand, you know, Secure Scuttlebutt was created post the whole like social media thing where you had a very sort of different thing where like people, where you could basically interpret any interaction between humans on the internet as a Turing test. Because, you know, all the time you get spam emails and that sort of stuff. And humans are actually really good at deciding what is spam and not. So you can interpret if people choose to continue interacting, then it's like there's a good chance that that person, that entity they're interacting with is actually a human. Whereas like spam, there's no bots and spam like really good enough to get past that filter like that. But it's based on lots of small signals instead of lot, instead of like big signals. So you could basically just have a thing where if one account gets compromised, you have the people, if the people that were close to you before are just like, oh, hang on, I don't think that's really Arthur, then you could like, I think you could mend those things. Although we haven't actually had to test this because we haven't had anyone try to like, you know, people have lost their keys, but no one has like really been uh, compromised dramatically yet. We've had a good overview of the project at this stage in the conversation, but I'd like to come back and drill down into some of these concepts because we've actually opened up a ton of uh, a ton of interesting ground for discussion that kind of focusing the discussion on blockchain previously hasn't made so easy to explore. There's a real myopia if uh, if your focus is on blockchain and you really want to understand this thing that I think, Martin Beasy would be appalled to hear me call the third web, right? But we can we can use that moniker anyway for now. Well, you mentioned uh, the... Okay, you, I'm doing air quotes now. The third web. And I think this is like really the thing that, you know, I think I'm most disappointed with about the blockchain world is that it hasn't... Like, I think there's like... There's an opportunity for a whole kind of... But new kind of internet based on cypherlinks, you know, based on hashes and signatures. What... So blockchain addresses a particular type of system where it's like the most important thing is that everything is strictly ordered, which allows you to form uniqueness constraints, such as that you know money is neither created nor destroyed when you do a transaction. 
but to actually build usable systems to like get life done that's just too expensive like you can't make every you don't want to like you know like the whole great thing about the internet and the preceding like 20 years it was that everything was just free so like making everything suddenly cost money was like hang on like why would you want to use this when before it worked so well just making everything free i think there's a lot more to explore like there's only like a couple of projects that are really i think explore you know it's one of the such as bfs there's dat there's Git, I think, fits in there. Secure's got a bit, of course, Gun, and maybe I'd say it was like, and a few others that I, you know, don't really see that I see talked about, but not really used that much, like Swarm and MadeSafe or something. But there's so much, that, like, this is like a completely new space where it's like you could totally invent a new thing, and the opportunity to build things that, like, actually, you know, really work. Is like totally, totally there. Like this hasn't been, this hasn't been done yet. Like Secure Scuttlebutt's still pretty crappy. Like just, and we're just like one of the ones that have gotten the, the furthest along. Like there's massive room to explore here. Cool, man. That's a awesome way to wrap this up. I'm super jealous of the fact you're on a bloody boat and I'm stuck in bloody Palo Alto. Yeah. Well, whose fault is that, Arthur? I tried to, you know, when I heard that IPFS had raised like $200 million, I was like, oh man, you guys you should buy a submarine, like some kind of like secondhand, like military submarine or something like that. So that you can go like <laughs> yeah. under the ice and like archive things. Like how good, <laughs> and they like haven't taken me seriously at all. At all. I've like tried to, you know, encourage various people I know inside RPFS that, you know, I was like, hey, submarine, submarine, and no one. So I reckon, you know, Definity needs a, needs a flagship. You're right. It actually does. I've, um, I've been looking on yachtworld.com. I found this great like 23 meter expedition sailor that um, would be, I think would be perfect. Steel hull, like awesome. It's got a hoist and everything, but um, we can probably take that conversation offline. Well, thanks a bunch for joining me, Dom. I look forward to actually coming back and drilling down into some of the specifics of what we've discussed today and some of the concepts that underlie them and explore more deeply this cypherlink driven kind of vision of a new internet you know and the emergence of cypherspace as a kind of an alternative to cyberspace that sounds awesome visit scuttlebutt.nz for more information thanks for listening to the third web subscribe on itunes soundcloud spotify or youtube and follow on twitter at the third web 